Good morning. So before we begin, I'd just really like to open up in prayer. Dear Lord, Father, we love you. Or just as we read about today, there is nothing good within us. My heart, our hearts are desperately wicked. Lord, we thank you for the perfect Savior, the perfect Deliverer that came, died for me, and died for all of these people in here, died for the world that we may trust in you and have eternal life, free gift of salvation. So may today's words, if nothing else is heard, that we would hear about a perfect Savior that came and died for us. Lord, we pray for those that, out, that are out there that don't know you, Lord, that they would see the Savior on the cross. And just as the thief next to him cried out, remember me, that in faith they would cry out to you, Lord. We love you, and we thank you, and pray that these would be your words. In Jesus' name, amen. So today, let's see. Today we are going to be continuing our study in Old Testament characters, and as you can see up on the screen, as Caleb said, we're going to be looking at the life of Samson, and uh, Samson is covered in the book of Judges, and uh, he starts off in chapter 13, and it is four chapters, and so there is a lot to cover over the life of Samson, and so we're going to be doing a high, kind of a high overview of his life. and looking at things that we may be able to apply to ours and our walk with the Lord. So um, with that, it's going to be kind of quick, but um, there is a picture up there of my son, Samson. And so we named our son Samson, which is not a name usually that you hear Christians naming their kids. And and we didn't do that ignorantly. We knew of the problems that Samson had in his life, um, but we saw the redemptive value, the redemption that points to Christ um, in Samson. And we were praying um, that Samson's life, our Samson, would be similar, that he, through weakness, would point to the strength of God. And so Samson, when he was born, he... uh, had a number of health issues, and actually, when we were in the delivery room, his heart stopped. I heard his heart stop over the monitor, and some of you remember that, a calling up in prayer, and we reached out in the prayer chain, and um, praise God, they were able to go into emergency C-section, but that was a time of turmoil, and then once again, um, Samson, in some of these health issues and some of these weaknesses, has really come to live... um, to point to God, and we just pray for his life that he would turn to Christ um, and that he would serve him in a mighty way. And one of those times, we were eating lunch in a place called the Falcon's Nest in Parkersburg. And if you haven't been there, it's kind of like a subway where you go up to the counter and you, they build your sandwich. And one day, I was Samson was in there, and he was a little toddler, a little bit older than he is there. And um, we were kind of at the checkout getting you know, five kids through worth of food. And so uh, I turn around and I see Samson walk right up to this man that was eating alone and he gives him a hug. I'm like, oh wow, okay. And so I walk over there. I do apologize to the man like, hey, sorry. And and, uh, 
and then took Samson back. And he, of course, he was an older man, and he really did, he loved it. He was thankful. Went back to the counter, and I look over my shoulder, and Samson walks right back over there. The man wasn't trying to get him over there, so it wasn't anything creepy. He didn't have a van out on the street. But he calls him over, or, or doesn't call him over there, and Samson walks over and gives him another hug. And so I thought, okay, Lord, once, great, two, we're going to go over there. So I talked to the man, um, asked him if he had anybody that was eating with him. We sat down and had lunch with this man. And come to find out, he, two months prior to that, had become a widower. His wife had passed away, and he was there eating alone. And um, so we met, visited with that man, and it's been just a pleasure to know him. And, uh, but we just pray that that would continue. And again, on the right there, we have uh, Fuller from Home Alone. But... The real Samson that we're going to be talking about today is not my Samson, my son, but the Samson of the Bible. And many of you have heard about Samson and some of these great feats of strength that he did in, in Sunday school. And you've heard that he tore a lion up into pieces as if it was a small goat and, and uh, had caught 300 foxes, which I can tell you is a feat. That's ridiculous. We had a fox coming after our chickens just a couple weeks ago, and those things are fast. I threw a rake at it, and the thing just vanished. It was like a ninja. Um, yeah, he let those... He lit the, tied them tail to tail and then lit a torch on fire and they ran through the fields, um, setting the Philistines' fields on fire. No, they didn't have crop insurance. So all of them, they were just kind of out of luck there. So um, he killed a thousand men with the jawbone of a donkey. It says the spirit of the Lord came upon him and he killed men and he tore apart lions and did some of these feats of strength. And then finally in his life, he gives his life as a martyr to deliver and carry out what God had told him that he was going to do or told his mother what he was going to do. He gave his life to kill the Philistines. Doesn't that sound like a hero? That's like, you, we go to the theater and it seems like every month there's a new hero movie coming out. It seems like that should be just the making of a Marvel character right there. And so, um, but we find out that that's not really the whole picture. Pictures can be deceiving when we don't have um, the entirety of it. And when we miss the forest for the trees, it can look something like this. See? I mean, who sees these pictures all over the place of, oh, I'm tanning on the beach or whatever. And if we don't have the full picture, that's what it seems like. But when we're given the rest, we find out it's something completely different. <laughs> so going to Samson, we're going to start and you don't have to turn there, but in Judges chapter 2, we're given kind of a state of Israel, what Israel was doing, what they were up to. And Joshua had died, and, and Israel really went their own way. They were given this commandment to go into the land that God had promised them and then purge the people from that that were these pagan cultures, these pagan nations. And they were told that they were supposed to purge them from the land. And Israel really went their own way. And they started joining with these nations. They started worshiping their gods. And um, we really don't have a good picture of the state of Israel. And um, Judges chapter 17, right after the life of Samson, we really hear it summed up well. That they did what was right in their own eyes. And that is what Samson has been sent to lead. And so um, Samson, his mother is given a pre, in Judges 13, 
She's given a preconception message from the Spirit of the Lord or from this angel of the Lord. And the angel says to him, you shall conceive and bear a son. I'm going to look up here. Now, therefore, please be careful. I can't see that back there. Be careful. Do not drink any wine or similar drink and do not eat anything unclean. For behold, you shall conceive and bear a son, and no razor shall come upon his head. For the child shall be a Nazarite to God from the womb, and he shall begin to deliver Israel out of the hand of the Philistines. So in this message from the angel of the Lord, she's given really three charges. One, instructions for herself while Samson is in the womb. And then two, she's given instructions for Samson in his life that he would be a Nazarite. We're going to go more into detail on that and some of the things overlap from what was told to her. And then three, she's given instructions for his life, what he was supposed to, his work, what he was supposed to do, and that was to begin delivering the, uh, begin delivering Israel from the hands of the Philistines. And so I do have a side note I do find it interesting, and we're not going to go into politics or anything like that, but I find it interesting if Samson in the womb was just a clump, a clump of lifeless cells, why would God be giving overlapping rules from the Nazarites to this woman for her son in the womb? And so um, just food for thought. We're not going to go any further into that, but um, just something that stuck out to me. And so he was to be a Nazarite, and... Uh, We've been given a pre, we've been given a promise that's similar from God. And in Ephesians 2, 8 through 10, we've been given a promise that for grace you have been saved through faith is not of works, not of yourselves. It is a gift of God, lest anyone should boast. For we are his workmanship created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. So God has works for us to walk in. When we walk in obedience, when we walk in the Spirit and we abide in the Spirit, He has works for us to carry out for His glory. We've been given that promise. In Numbers chapter 6, we can see the laws of the Nazarites. Um, and those included, the Nazarite was to be separate. It means to be separate to the Lord for service. And so these were people that usually after they were born, they were given over to God for service, and these were some of the laws that they would have to abide by. They were not to drink any wine or really have anything that was from the grapevine. And it says from seed to stem, nothing, or seed to skin, I think, but um, nothing from the grapevine. They weren't to have any haircuts, so they weren't supposed to shave their head. They were supposed to let it grow out long. And um, they were not supposed to go even near any dead bodies. Um, and if they did, somebody accidentally or suddenly dies next to them, they were to go through a cleansing ceremony with the priests and, and give a burnt offering for even this accidental dead body that they had been by. And then, at that point, it reset the days of their vows that they would start all over again. God was serious about this. It wasn't a club it was somebody who was supposed to be separate, even have, even have the same laws as Israel, the Jews, but then have these other ones defined. It wasn't a club. It was to draw them to God for his service. 
And so we're going to start marking up this paper similar to what you see grading on paper here, uh, or on like a, a student's worksheet for homework. And we're going to start looking into the life of Samson. And, and it says, um, the first account that we have of Samson is at the end of 13, and it said, So the woman bore a son and called his name Samson. And the child grew, and the Lord blessed him. And the Spirit of the Lord began to move upon him at Manhannah, Dan, between Zorah and Eshtael. Now Samson went down to Timnah, and he saw a woman in Timnah of the daughters of the Philistines. And so he went up and told his father and mother, saying, I have seen a woman in Timnah of the daughters of the Philistines. Now therefore go get her for me as a wife. And he goes on to say later when his father and mother tried to talk him out of it um, that he said she was pleasing to him. And it's a similar statement to what we read about they did what was right in their own eyes. It was a similar statement to that. And so we have Samson and it's not a really good first account of Samson in his life. We don't see somebody who's been seeking God in his life. Instead, we see compromises already. We see him going and lusting after a Philistine woman. This creates two problems. One, Israel wasn't supposed to be joined with the women of these nations. And then two, um, two, he was given a charge that these would be the people that he would deliver Israel from. And so we don't really have a good first account of Samson in his life. And then he also heeds wise counsel that was given to him not to be joined um, with this Philistine woman. And so, uh, moving on, he's heading down there to Timnah, and it says that a lion confronted him. And then he, it said the Lord came upon him, and he tore this lion apart as if it was a small goat. And so we have Samson there uh, tearing this lion apart, and then he goes down and he throws this feast or this banquet. And um, the name of that feast in Hebrew is Mishteh. And Mishta was very specific. It's a banquet of drinking, which then we can kind of assume that Samson compromised on two more vows in his Nazarite, in his Nazarite vows. That um, one, um, lions would have been an unclean animal for Israel. And so he's there ripping apart a lion. So the lion dies. He's touching it with his bare hands. And then it makes a specific statement that he hid it from his parents. He didn't tell them. You wonder if the first time he raged against wise counsel, if you learned, my parents are going to try to talk me into going to be cleansed, going to do this. Um, and he would have been counseled again. So he hides his sin away. Then he goes and throws a party where there's drinking. And Samson's not supposed to be taking any wine. And so this is an assumption from God's word. But I think it's a fair one given the rest of Samson's life. He makes further compromises and hides his sin away. And uh, then another point um, also we saw in there that God provided honey. Well, he goes back to this lion carcass and he grabs honey out of that and again takes it to his parents, incorporates him, them into his disobedience and then doesn't tell them where the honey came from. He goes on to do a couple more feats of strength. He kills 30 Philistine men. 
He catches the foxes that we were talking about earlier. And then he kills more Philistine men. I mean, we're starting to get a pattern here. Somebody who's not supposed to be around dead bodies is sure shrouded with death in his life, and he's using his bare hands to do it. And we're starting to get this image that maybe Samson is carrying out the will of God, but he's not walking in step with God. And so that is a very careful warning to each one of us in our lives. Just because you see God moving in your life, around you, using you in mighty ways, just because things are happening that look like they're according to God's will, it does not mean that you're living a life that's in step with God. The only thing that tells you that you're living in life in step with God is looking at his word and looking onto him and trusting in him and then doing what he has commanded. So Samson is being fueled by vengeance, rage, and pride, and he continues to compromise against his Nazarite vow. Now going on to chapter 15, we get another state of Israel. And after this, Samson, it says he went down to Edom and he was hiding from the Philistines. And the Philistines go to the, the men of Judah and they say, hey, we gotta do something about this guy, Samson. And they didn't stand up for Samson. They weren't encouraged by what he had done. They didn't fight back against the Philistines. Instead, they sent 3,000 men to go down against Samson. And like a bunch of whipped dogs, they say, we're going to bind you up and we need to take you to the Philistines and turn you in because this is not going to go well for us. And so Samson agrees. He said, hey, if you don't kill me, then I'll go with you. And so they tie ropes around him and then they drag him to the Philistines. And honestly, Samson is a direct reflection of the generation that he was to lead. We had a saying in the military uh, that subordinates were a direct reflection of their leadership. Well, in this case, Samson was a direct reflection of the people he was to lead. And it took me to a quote that's in Batman. And James Gordon at one point says, he's the hero that they deserve. And Samson is absolutely the hero that Israel deserves. He's a lone wolf wrecking ball, guided by his own passion, his own lust, and doesn't seek out God in any of these feats that we've heard about so far. And we'll see further continuance of that as we move on. So Samson's confronted with these Philistines and it says he tears apart um, his bindings. And I heard somebody say, it's as if it should have been wet toilet paper. I mean, it's just like nothing. And he tears it apart and then he picks up the jawbone of a donkey, yet another unclean thing he wasn't supposed to be touching, and then continues to slay a thousand Philistine man, men. Now, I don't know about you, but if I'm number 999 and I'm looking at number 998, I'm kind of like, Maybe I shouldn't do this. But apparently a thousand men had, the, um, had it within themselves to go up against Samson and be killed. And then we have another story of God providing water for Samson. He cries out to God and he says, well, first of all, actually, we want to go back. So Samson, when he kills the Philistines, he uh, composes a song or like a poem or a chant. And he says, 
I give glory to God. And no, that's not what he says. He says, with the jawbone of a donkey, heaps upon heaps, with the jawbone of a donkey, I have slain a thousand men. And then proceeds to, as if he's in the touchdown, spike the jawbone and celebrate his own victory. And then we see the first thing that we could maybe look at as humility. He falls down and says, God, I'm thirsty. And he says, have you used your servant for this great deliverance? He's still pointing to himself. Just to die of thirst before the Philistines? So he's still pointing to himself. And then he goes on to name the place after God. It says he gave him water. He split the hollow place and provided water. And he was uplifted and he wasn't thirsty anymore. And he gets up. And I was kind of joking with my wife the other day. And I said, and he placed an altar for the Lord there. And he provided a burnt offering and worshiped at that place. No. He names it En-Kahor. Hakor, I think it was. En-Hakor. Um, which really isn't even a good name. It says spring for the caller. He's still pointing to himself in everything that he does, even when God provides this water for him. And then the next thing we hear is that he judged Israel for 20 years, and that's my attempt at a silver lining right there. Like, well, maybe he did a good job. Maybe he did a good job for those 20 years. But once again, the first account we have back is... He escapes an ambush in the middle of the night, tears out the gates of Gaza, but the only reason he was there was he was chasing a Philistine prostitute in Gaza. So he was led once again by his own lust. The next time we see Samson, it's the story of Delilah. And most of us have heard this story and in Sunday school. And we're going to go through that in a little bit more detail. It says, afterward it happened that he loved a woman in the valley of Sarek, whose name was Delilah. And the lords of the Philistines came up to her and said to her, entice him and find out where this great strength lies and by what means we may overpower him, that we may bind him and afflict him. And every one of us will give you 1,100 pieces of silver. Now, 1,100 pieces of silver. If you look back at the Levitical law and these redemption values that we have there, you can do a little bit of math and find out that each one of the lords was going to provide 92 years of living wages for Delilah. That was a lot of money. So then we see Samson, led by lust again, to this Philistine woman. And it said she began to she began to try and trick him. So the first time, she says, Samson, tell me what is the source of your power? And he says, it's bowstrings. If you tie me up with new bowstrings, then I'll be like any other man. So then she proceeds as he's sleeping that night. It says, the Philistines brought up to her seven fresh bowstrings, not yet dried, and she bound him with, with them. Okay. So then he wakes up and she says, Samson, the Philistines are upon you. And he wakes up, tears them, and tears them apart like they're nothing and escapes the Philistines. The next night, she's crying to him and she says, Samson, you lied to me. And she says, what's the real source of your power? And she said, he said, oh, no, sorry, I got it. I got it. Got it. It's ropes. It's ropes. If you tie me up with new ropes, I'll be powerless. So then that night, it says, Delilah took new ropes and bound him with them. And he, she did the same thing. She goes and she says, Samson, the Philistines are upon you. And he tears them apart and then he escapes the Philistines. The next time, 
Samson is, is there and she's crying to him again. And she says, you've lied to me again. And this time he's toying with fire and he goes, it's my hair. If you bind my hair into a loom, then I'll be powerless. So it says that night. So she wove it tightly in the batten of a loom. And I'm just telling you, I'm not a detective, but at this point I'd start to be suspicious. So she's tied his hair up in a loom and he wakes up and the Philistines come in there and he tears it apart and he's still strong and he's not powerless and he escapes them. This reminds me of a story of my son Benjamin. We were in the garden one time and this was at our old house and our neighbors had cattle and they uh, had an electric fence and it pulsed and sent shocks through this electric fence. And so he walks up and, and I said, Ben, this is my son Benjamin. I said, Ben, don't touch that. Jess and I were warning him. And he goes, okay. And he walks over and walks back to us and we continue to work in the garden. Pretty soon I'm looking over my shoulder. And I said, honey, watch this. <laughs> and he, he walks over and he's looking at this electric fence. And he goes, touches it, and by Georgie, touched it right between the shocks. So he touches it right between the shocks, and he comes back over to me, and he's like, what gives, Dad? <laughs> right? That's the look on his face. And, and so he walks back over to us. He's hanging out there, and he looks over, and I'm looking over my shoulder. He walks right back over to that fence. Like, Dad didn't know what he was talking about. Touches again, and he didn't get shocked. I was shocked at this point. Jess and I were like, what in the world's going on? Okay, maybe the fence is off. And so he wanders back, and it's like, Dad, you're full of baloney. That fence isn't going to do anything to me. And he walks right over to it and just goes, grabs onto it. <laughs> Boom! <laughs> we heard the shock from 12, 20 feet away, and he just went running, tears down his face, just screaming. And he comes over to us, and this is a similar thing. He'd gotten away with it his whole life. And he had seen God move. And he thought, I'm, I'm going to be fine. I really don't believe, um, Samson actually believed it was from his hair. I don't even think he believed that his strength came from God. I think he really believed that his strength came from himself. Otherwise, why would you tell this woman he thinks he's going to continually get what he wants on both places. He's playing the fence. He thinks, I'm going to get what I want from this Philistine woman, and I'm going to get what I want from God. And he plays the game. And it came to pass that when she pestered him daily, not with her words, impressed him, so that his soul was vexed to death, that he told her with all of, his, all of his heart and said to her, no razor has ever come upon my head, for I have been a Nazarite to God from my mother's womb. If I am shaven, then my strength will leave me, and I shall become weak and be like any other man. It wasn't a lion. It wasn't 30 men. It wasn't a thousand men, but it was a vexing, seductive woman that brought Samson to his knees. And this is a warning for men and women. Men, you are not to lord over your wife. You're not to drag her around like she's on a chain behind you. You're to love her as Christ loved the church. You're not to use her for gain in your life. You're supposed to lead her as a servant leader. And women, you have no idea the power 
that you have to run your husband into the ground in his relationship with the Lord. Women, you have been given a task by God to submit to your husband. And it's not easy. But it's glorifying to God, just as we see Samson here. It's not easy, but it is glorifying to God. And that's what, as believers, we should be looking to in our life, is to bring glory to God with our lives. Oh, went the wrong way. And it says then that, what am I doing on time? It says then that Delilah then lulled him to sleep. I'm going to find it in here. No, I'm not. I'm going to read it. Oh, whoa, what happened to my text here? Then she lulled him to sleep on her knees and called up for a man, and he had him shave off the seven locks of his head. Then she began to torment him, and his strength left him, and she said, The Philistines are upon you, Samson. So she, he awoke from his sleep and said, I will go as before at other times and shake myself free. But he did not know that the Lord had departed from him. Then the Philistines took out, put out his eyes, so they gouged out his eyes, and brought him down to Gaza. They bound him with bronze fetters, and he became a grinder in the prison. However, the hair on his head began to grow again, as after, sorry, again after it had been shaven. We see in Samson's life that small compromises led to bigger compromises, sorry, bigger compromises led to more compromises, led to more compromises until the Lord had had enough, and he had left him. And up there on the screen, on the bottom of the screen, you can see a quote that we've seen up on here many times. Sin takes you further than you want to go. It keeps you longer than you want to be there. And it costs you more than you want to pay. And Samson was paying that. So then Samson's brought up to the Temple of Dagon um, where they're celebrating. And then um, It says that there was a lad who led him by the hand, and he said, let me feel the pillars which support the temple so that I can lean on them. Now the temple was full of men and women. All the lords and the Philistines were there, about 3,000 men and women on the roof watching Samson perform while he performed. Then Samson called to the Lord, saying, O Lord God, remember me, I pray. Strengthen me, I pray. Just this once, O God that I may with one blow take vengeance on the Philistines for my two eyes, that Samson took, and Samson took a hold of the two middle pillars which supported the temple, and he braced himself against them. 2,000 years ago, Jesus, our Savior, our true deliverer, would have been in a similar position, hands outstretched, nailed on a cross for our sins, and the man next to him on the cross in the same position, crying out to him, saying, remember me, Lord, when you enter into your kingdom. Then Samson said, let me die with the Philistines. And he pushed with all of his might, and the temples fell on the lords and all of the people who were in it. So the dead that he killed in his death were more than that he killed in his life. We've been given a promise too just like the one we had read before. That same flesh that Samson and that same bent that Samson had in his life is in us. us. That same flesh, that same nature towards rebellion to God is within us. Adam and Eve in the garden didn't listen to God. They ate of the fruit that they weren't supposed to. And in the garden, God provided a covering for their sin. The leaves wouldn't do it that they tried to cover themselves with. 
God slayed animals, spilt the blood of animals, and put an atoning sacrifice, the first atoning, atoning sacrifice for sin, and he covered their sin with it. In the book of Romans, we hear, all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God, and that the wages of sin is death, but the gift of God, this free gift, is eternal life in Jesus Christ. Jesus, like I said, came roughly nearly 2,000 years ago in that same, similar position on the cross, but he wasn't a partial deliverer. He didn't begin delivering us from sin. He did, and he cried out, it is finished. He didn't cry out in vengeance. He didn't cry out against his captors. He cried, it is finished, and he was thinking about every single person in this room who could accept Jesus as their savior. And he gives us this promise that those who just like Samson, those who call upon the Lord, they will be saved. Not maybe, but they will be saved. And so we're gonna look at Samson's life one more time. And all of this red, I've had papers like this in school. We're gonna look at all this red. All the times that Samson had gone on his own accord. And the one time that God cares about is when he called out to him for his strength. So the real question is, is did Samson, did Samson do many great things in his life, many mighty things in his life um, to carry out the will of God? Yes. God's sovereign will was done. He was beginning, he had begun to deliver Israel from the hands of the Philistine. Um, did Samson glorify God with, the entire, God with the entirety of his life? Not until he was blind, beaten, bound, and broken did Samson call out to God for his strength and in faith pulled down that temple and carried out the entire will of God. And it said that Samson was more valuable in that and it does, it's not like the things that he did in his life were, it says that he killed more people, did more in the will of God in his death when he finally came to an end of himself, similar to what we heard last week. A woman with a broken and contrite heart coming to God and crying out to him, coming to an end of herself, brings glory to God. And it says that some will be saved. Saved, still saved, but it will be as though by fire. So there are many things, even in my own life, I'm sure, that I have built, that I've done, and it doesn't carry eternal weight of glory. It doesn't, and it will be burned up as though it's chaff. And so the one thing we can be asking ourselves after we come to the Savior, and that's the key part, so please don't, if you don't hear anything else from this message, if you think, wow, this is horrible, I think the guy should hang it up, leave, never come back. If you think it's horrible, just hear this. There's always a way back. There's always redemption to be had. When we fix our eyes upon the Lord, when we call out his name and believe that he is who he says he is and trust in the atoning sacrifice that he gave to us 2,000 years ago, there is payment for sin. There's always redemption to be had. There's always a way back. And then our charge is that if we walk in the light as he is in light, we will have fellowship with one another, and the blood of Jesus will cleanse us from all sin. That's the promise we have. So I just 
again, encourage all, each and every one of us, even if you see God using you, even if you see mighty things going on, even if you're serving in mighty ways and you see this thing, let it not be a celebration of yourself, but let it point to God and bring glory to him. And those of you that don't know him, I can't say this enough, those of you who have not put your trust in him, I beg you, don't walk out today without reconciling that. Don't walk out today without coming to a saving faith in the Lord Jesus Christ because you're not guaranteed anything. You're not guaranteed the next breath. And it's very serious. God will not be mocked. He will not have his word counted as slack. You've heard it. You've heard it today. You've heard it preached from the pulpit here many times. You've heard it on Sunday mornings during breaking of bread. There's no excuse. Please, please be reconciled to God through his son, Jesus Christ. Let's pray. Dear Lord, Father, we love you. Just thank you for look at Samson and Lord, uh, just thank you for the hope that there is, that you are long-suffering, that you're merciful. You could have ended it with Samson and started over with somebody else, but you saw to the end that he would become faithful and that you have recognized him, even that small amount of faith in the book of Hebrews, in Hebrews 11, mentioned among the faithful. And, and Lord, uh, we just thank you for that promise that you are long-suffering, long-suffering and merciful to a point that we can't even understand or fathom. We just thank you so much for that. Thank you for Jesus. Thank you that we have a promise of a perfect Savior, a deliverer that finished the work. Lord, and we can trust in him today. Lord, help us to walk in obedience to you. Not bringing glory to ourselves, Lord, and I pray that all glory from anything said today would be returned unto you. And Lord, may we glorify you with our lives, have fellowship with the saints, and trust in you, Lord Jesus. We love you and pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.